Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So happy Father's Today. Can we say that? Happy Father's Today. I titled this, you know, I first had some different ideas this morning, you know, about, you know, examples of fatherhood and things like that. And I know, guys, like, don't, don't turn off yet online because I know a lot of times, you know, on, on Mother's Day, we celebrate moms. It's so special, ooey-gooey love. And then Father's Day comes and we start pointing our fingers and say, Dad, you need to buck up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it. How many of well, you, we don't do that at Face City, right? It's important that we give honor where honor is due. Uh, but, you know, I had these different examples and ideas and ways I was going to go. But this just came to me, happy fathers today, because so many times, you know, we can be really hard on ourselves, guys, dads, right? We can be really hard on ourselves because we can feel the guilt. Sometimes we can feel the shame because we haven't been the best dad, you know? And so Father's Day is one of those things that I've had to, I've had to work through sometimes, knowing that I fall short sometimes as a dad and work through that and, and, and let myself be honored in that capacity. And you know what? My kids love me. I still have their hearts, so I'm doing something right. Uh, but sometimes we can really be really hard on ourselves because we're maybe not the perfect father. How many know there's only one perfect father, our heavenly father? I think it's beautiful that we have this phrase and this idea. Um, I love that scripture calls God a father and you know, a good, good father, uh, a nursing mother, one who tends to our needs, a, a fortress, a refuge, uh, all these things because as human beings, we're trying to wrap uh, maybe, f- you know, skin and bone around this idea of God. But how do you know that God is spirit, ultimately? So he's not male or female, but we use these terms. And so for me, I had a really good father. He wasn't perfect, he'll admit that, but just a really good dad who loved me, who cared for me, who uh, dis- disciplined me in the correct way, right? Not punishment for my past, but training me for my future. That's proper discipline. And so, you know, I can stand here and say, wow, I can, I can see the image of God as a father, and it means a lot. Now, maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't have a father. Maybe the father was there, but still absent. Maybe the father is very abusive. I don't know your situation, but let me say this, that God is a good, good father. And if you just stick around here for a while, you're going to start to see this play out like, wow. You're going to get this proper uh, painted picture of the face of God, who God really is, I believe, to the best of our knowledge and understanding. And so we grow in that. But I believe that we really need to give ourselves some grace. We need to learn, dads, to truly love ourselves, to embrace the journey that we're on and becoming the best version of ourselves. And for me... You know, I've realized that, that nobody ever learns, nobody can really grow from dwelling on the worst parts of themselves, right? Uh, or from all the things that they don't measure up to. I believe that true growth comes by recognizing that sometimes I fall short, recognizing the blind spots, right? We all have them. That's why Jesus said, uh, maybe, you know, check the log in your eye before you check someone else's speck of dust, that's a really good analogy. And, but there's times where the Holy Spirit will show us those blind spots in those areas. And I think it's in those moments, recognizing those things in our lives, but then embracing the story that God has told us about ourselves. How does God see us? And he sees, I believe, us as good, good fathers, just like him, who reflect his image and likeness. Can I get an amen from the dads today? And so I'm going to look at Titus. I, I love this in Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared. 
I love this statement. It's been revealed. Now think about this. When, when something is revealed, it doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't there all along. Right? Uh, I remember a few different times um, I, I painted for years and, and I just had the opportunity to paint the homes of people who had lots of money. And sometimes you would walk through their garage. You know, they would have a, a three to four car garage attached to the house. And then they had to have a separate three to four to five car unattached because that's necessary, right? But anyway, I'd walk in and a lot of times they would have this, you could tell it was a car, but the car was underneath some type of shroud or veil, so to speak, some type of covering. And sometimes you go up and say, mm, this must be some good because it's covered up. You'd be like, whoa, you know, a 1969 this or 1954 that. It was beautiful. But the thing is, just because I couldn't see it doesn't mean it didn't exist. When I lifted the veil, and sometimes, you know, they were probably like, oh, you're checking, you want to see it, you want to see it? And whew, they'd pull that, that veil off, so to speak. I'm using that terminology because it's biblical and I'm a pastor. But you pull off that veil and you'd see everything. Wow, there it is, you know, cherry red, you know, baby blue, whatever it could be. And it was just beautiful. Well, to me, this is so cool that through Jesus Christ, the grace of God has appeared has been revealed. It was there all along. If we look all through the context of Scripture, the grace never left. Even in the very beginning story, when, when man had fallen, had sinned, had fallen short, what happened? God came to them by grace, with love, covering their shame, and even being outside, leaving the garden with them. And so we see the story of grace, but through Jesus it has appeared. Look at this. Bring salvation to some people. I was waiting for Bruce to check me on that. Pastor Bruce over there. No, to, to how many men? All. This word all is so deep. My dad taught me this years ago. In the Greek, it means all. That's one of my dad's jokes. It's, it's Father's Day. It's dad jokes. Come on. But think about this. It, it's, he brought salvation to all men. There's no one that wasn't included in this. So the grace appeared, it was revealed, bringing salvation. Now we know that salvation isn't, I prayed a prayer on a Sunday morning because I just felt like I needed Jesus to come into my heart and now I have a stamp ticket to heaven. No, salvation in the Greek, it literally means preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, deliverance, restoration. That's why the apostles say to those working out their salvation or those being saved, right? You're like, being saved? I thought I prayed the prayer. No, no, this is a life journey where you're experiencing in different facets of your life at different times, deliverance, safety, healing, come on. And so we're on a journey. And so it's beautiful. He brought it to all men. But look at this. This is so cool about the grace of God, what it does. It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live how? Sensibly? Righteously? Come on. That word righteous is pretty powerful. I mean, it means right standing with God. But if you really break down the original languages, it means uh, to operate exactly how you've always been. Your point of origin, who you truly are. So grace teaches us to live sensibly, live from the core the identity of who you and who you are and whose you are, and look at this, in godly, in the present age. Isn't that awesome? I just love the grace of God. It's, it's one of those things that's, you know, kind of, you know, 
grace sometimes has been taken wrong or taking so far, the pendulum swung so far that people take it overboard, and I get that. But just because people go crazy or think they're living in grace doesn't mean we don't teach grace. Right? So today I want to look at three examples of fathers, but one way to live. I want to look at our Heavenly Father, who, you know, we look at this every single week, don't we? I was just notified that the live stream went down, so I'm sorry, live streamers. Here we are. But, you know, our Heavenly Father, every week we talk about this idea of God, of Heavenly Father, of the divine, and we see it through the lens of Jesus, right? Should Jesus be our lens to see God? Absolutely. Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. And so, you know, I want to talk about that idea of Heavenly Father and how he um, deals with us, how God's relationship works with us. But I also want to look at another father, Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Anyone know? Come on. You got right arms, left arms. I mean, it's a biblical song. You got to sing it. But we did that in children's church, right? But Father Abraham, to the Jewish community, which, by the way, I'll remind you again, Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. And so Father Abraham was this patriarch of the faith. And so there was something special about Abraham and the relationship that they have even, even thousands of years ago with this patriarch of the faith. So our Heavenly Father, Father Abraham, and then wind up somewhere about each father that's here today. Those who may be even hearing this message later. I believe that we must understand that everything good in life, everything that God has brought us, uh, how we should live is built on the revelation that, get this, my heavenly father loves me more than I know. See, for me, if, if I hadn't come to this revelation, and I'm not saying that I completely even understand how deep the love of God goes because Paul challenges us to measure the height, the breadth, right, the depth, the width. I mean, in other words, it's so big it would take your whole life to figure it out. But to me, to just get a glimpse, the tip of the iceberg, if you will, has kept me in the faith, has kept me uh, in a place like this as a pastor where I feel like I'm worthy to minister, I'm worthy to speak and to teach. That's what the love of God does to our heart. It moves us. It changes us. It's amazing. So we must understand first and foremost that our Heavenly Father loves us more than we know. And we must understand that his grace is sufficient. The grace never runs out. Now again, I know that, that we can get scared of this idea of grace, but we can't. We have to embrace it. We have to run all the way with it. There, you know what? I was one of those preachers who used to be scared. You can't give too much grace because, man, what, what happens? Well, you give people freedom. Freedom to find out who they are. It actually is a beautiful thing, and it usually comes around full circle, and they realize, wow, this is so good. See, this is the revelation, I believe, that will change us, guys, because it will change us from the inside out. It will, it will cause us to bear fruit in our lives. It will cause us to be able to change our world the world around us. Now, I'm not saying you're going to change the world, but listen, how's it start? One heart at a time. So we have that opportunity to change the world around us, and it starts in our home, guys. It starts with changing the heart of our children to see God for who he truly is. And so two things that I want to kind of leave you with, this came to my, my heart this morning, two key things to, to really keep your child's heart. Number one, say I'm sorry. If you mess up, say you're sorry. You know, I think sometimes this idea, 
it, it kind of rubs, it goes against the grain, and we think, well, if I do that, then they'll lose respect for me or I'll seem weak. No, 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 no. If we're able to apologize, hey, I'm sorry I said it that way. I'm sorry I missed that. I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention. Not just saying it flippantly, but from your heart, it means a lot. Being able to say you're sorry, you'll keep their heart. The other thing is to say I love you. You can never say I love you enough. In fact, add this to it. I love you unconditionally. There's no strings attached. There's no hoops you have to jump, jump through. There's no hurdles you, know, you have to jump in order to, to have my love. I love you unconditionally. Even on your worst day, I love you. It's so important. So back to Abraham. Romans 4. I want to start here in verse 1. The Apostle Paul is writing here. He says, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not toward God. For what does the Scripture say? Look at this. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is so awesome. We can just kind of glaze over and read over this if we're not careful. But, but how was he accounted as righteous? Because of his belief in God. Not because of actions. Look at verse 4. Now to him who works, say works. Nothing wrong with work. But it's, are you inspired to work or are you obligated to work? We know that, right? Look at this. Now to him who works, the reward is not counted as grace, but as something owed. How many go to work every week? When you get your paycheck, how many say, wow, man, you're just so gracious that you're giving me this money? No. You're like, come on, pay up. You owe me. I earned this. I worked for this, right? Grace doesn't work that way. Salvation doesn't work that way. Righteousness doesn't work that way. It's not something you work for. It's something you're freely given, right? Look at this. But to him who doesn't work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So I started here because what we see here is we, we see the transition between the old and the new, the old covenant and the new covenant. We see this idea starting to change. See, in the old covenant, the old idea under the law, um, if you act right, you get blessed. If you act wrong, then something has to die. And so there was this whole sacrificial system that came in. You know, the wages of sin is death. So there was an animal that was sacrificed, a sheep, a goat, a bull. It was blood covering your sin or your transgression. But then Jesus, enter Jesus. He comes onto the scene, God himself, God in flesh. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. It's final. It's done. There's no, money, no more sacrifices to be offered. Hebrews is actually really trying to convince Jews who are like, man, they're dabbling in this way, the way of Jesus, this new way, but then, you know, through maybe peer pressure or, you know, I mean, think about this. If you're meeting home to home in someone's little, you know, home, humble house, and then you look off and there's this beautiful temple that's just enshrined with gold and people wearing their wonderful, you know, garments, you might be like, I don't know, man, that looks a little more uh, tasty over there. It looks like a little better. Maybe I should go offer a goat to make sure I'm okay. And it, they're actually told that when you do that, you're just trampling what the work of Christ, what he did, his finished work underfoot. And so it's important we see there's this transition, but Jesus came and was the final, the once and for all sacrifice, fulfilling 
the old covenant, right? And I love what John the Baptist says. There's Jesus, man. He's coming. He's, he takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God was slain. This is so beautiful. It's hard for people to see this, but sin is not the issue. It's our thinking. Romans 12, 2, we talk about it all the time. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It doesn't mean sin is okay and doesn't matter. Uh, of course not. Consequences built in. We understand that. But God doesn't hold our sin against us. We're going to get into this. But think about this. Our righteousness is based on Jesus, not on our performance. We're going back to some 101-like gospel here. I want us to get this, guys. Sometimes we need to go back to it because we just forget these things, right? We, we, uh, I heard one guy say that we, we leak, right? If you're not putting in, we, we eventually are leaking through, through life and just things are, are just weighing on us and, you know, taking from us. And so we have to remind ourselves of these things. Our righteousness is based on Jesus. It's not on our performance. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you're pretty familiar with this idea, right? With this theology, with this story. But how often do we, especially as fathers, put so much weight so much guilt and pressure on ourselves to be perfect. Especially as, as Christians, Christ followers, we really try to, because we want to do the right thing. Our heart is to do the right thing, but we put this undue pressure on ourselves to be perfect. You see, that's why I love the story of Abraham. Say, Father Abraham. It's so beautiful here. Abraham, who, by the way, he came onto the scene about 430 years before the law, so here's a man having relationship with God before the law. Just a beautiful example of life under the covenant of grace. I'd even like to go as far as to say that the new covenant isn't necessarily new. It's the way that God always has functioned. We just didn't see it. We weren't getting it. But through Jesus, he said, okay, let's make this new thing stick. Right? That's what's so beautiful about the resurrection. I mean, I love this. You guys probably have heard this before, but Jesus resurrects in a garden. He was mistaken for a gardener. There's something to this. Any Jew hearing the story would be like, whoa, a garden. I know the garden story. Wait, wait, wait. And then Jesus is referred to as the last Adam? Come on, this isn't by accident here, right? So you have last Adam in a garden. I believe that for over 2,000 years, new creation has been bursting forth. And we're part of that. Say, I'm part of that. This is so awesome, man. I'm just getting fired up. Not just because I'm going on vacation, but like this stuff gets me going, man. In fact, I can't wait to have those restful moments in a zero-gravity chair, looking at the clouds going, God, you are so good, right? But we're going to continue here in verse 6. Uh, Paul goes on to say, so even David himself speaks. In Psalm 32, David has some things to say regarding the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Look at what David says. This is, this is before Jesus came. This is, to me, this is almost prophetic, right? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Look at this. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will never count sin. Isn't that a blessing? He never holds your sin against you. So I have a question for you here. Did God ever impute sin to Abraham? The answer is never. <laughs> Yet Abraham, again, this is why it's important to read. Because when you look at the life of Abraham, look at the life of King David, look at the life of these heroes of the faith, and you're like, they're a hero? 
They're murderers, they're adulterers, they're liars. Whoa, what is going on here? But get this, God never imputed sin to Abraham, yet Abraham wasn't always faithful to God. He, he wasn't. At one point, he fled to Egypt because of famine in Canaan. In other words, he's like, man, God, I know you made these promises to me and that you would bless me, but you know what? I just lost or I lack faith in you right now, so I'm just going to run somewhere else. And come on, we've all been there. I'll raise both hands. Thanks, God, for everything, but I think I can handle this on my own. That's what Abraham did. In the process of this fleeing to Egypt, he then meets the Pharaoh, who is kind of taken by the beauty of his wife, and he lies to the Pharaoh and says, oh, yeah, this is, this is just my, my sister. Why? He was in fear because he didn't want Pharaoh to kill him to get his wife. And so he lies and says, this is my sister. And the, so the Pharaoh's like, sweet, it's your sister. I guess I'll take her on as one of my own. And he gives him sheep and cattle and donkeys and servants. I mean, he's paying for her because back in the day, that's what you did. You want the girl, you got to pay for the girl, right? It's different now. It's like credit cards and houses and things like that. Anyway, I'm just kidding. But he pays for her, but then Pharaoh gets struck with disease because he has another man's wife. He confronts Abraham, and then he says, man, dude, you know what, take her and go. Possessions and all. So Abraham not only lies, he gets rich, richer off his lies. And get this, he lies again. Same lie, different leader. King Abimelech. And so he does the same thing, and, and then God appears in a dream to the king and threatens his life. Which, you know, you read it like, that's right. He, he took Abra Abraham's wife. He didn't know it was Abraham's wife. Abraham lied. I'm like, wait, wait, you're threatening his life. Why didn't he threaten Abraham? Dude, you lied, and now this, I mean, come on. Do we not think this stuff through? I'm thinking, why didn't he threaten Abraham? So guess what? He's like, dude take this this woman i'm having dreams it's freaking me out in fact here's some more sheep cattle and servants and he sends them off so now he's even he even has more wealth through his lies see what this shows me is that grace is scandalous i mean abraham he he doesn't trust god he he's not always faithful to god he lies twice and then you bless him now this is an example of how to get away with stuff and be blessed we understand that, right? I don't want them to be like, cool, dude, I can do whatever I want. God will bless me. <laughs> the blessings already happened through Christ Jesus. But if you do dumb stuff, you're going to get dumb stuff back, right? But grace is scandalous. God still doesn't impute sin to him. Think about this. We're living in the same way. God doesn't count sin against us. I love the fact that Jesus never spoke to the sin in someone. He spoke to the son. You're better than this. That's, that's how we should be with our kids. Now, I'm not perfect by any stretch when it comes to discipline. I have good days. I have bad days. But on the good days, it's not me pointing out everything that's wrong with my child. It's saying you're better than this. There's a different way. There's a better way to do this. I see red flags. Uh, uh, let me help you. Let me be with you on the journey. And that's how God is with us. Now, I know that statements like this, sometimes it can scare us, right? Because we hear the statement like this as if sin doesn't matter. And so I'm just going to reiterate again that sin does matter, right? It really does. You reap what you sow. If you sow dumb, guess what? You're going to reap some dumb. It's built in. 
God doesn't have to, to uh, administer discipline to you when you sin. Sin has it built in. Your sin will surely find you out. Not God. Your sin will surely find you out. The wages of sin, not God, is death. Sometimes we somehow put this together and we think God's the author of getting us back. How do we come up with this stuff? I'm sorry, but to me that's bad theology. It doesn't work. Because Jesus would, would welcome sinners to his table. He would share bread with them, break bread with them. He would have a meal. He would have a conversation. I wish that I could be a fly on the wall with these conversations. I mean, like with Zacchaeus and, and, and you know, these deep conversations he had with, with Pharisees and other people because they would change and begin to operate completely different in life. There's something about relationship with Jesus where Jesus didn't have to call out sin. In fact, he would just say, I'm going to introduce yourself to who you truly are, so go and sin no more. In other words, go and don't live out a false identity anymore. Now you can live out a true identity that's always been there. You just haven't seen it. Isn't that awesome? And that's what our, I guess I want to say job, that's our job. It's not to beat people over the head. It's to slowly, through relationships, show them who they truly are. It's so beautiful. I mean, I love the gospel. It's good news. Amen? But as far as God is concerned, and your relationship with the divine, your sins are not held against you. They're just not. Which, to me, it causes me to live my best life. I never once thought, ooh, I can get away with stuff now. You never get away with anything. I said it before, you so dumb, you're going to reap done. Sin will find you out. It's not a good road. But here's the thing. The more that, that I realize how, how powerful his love and grace are, how immeasurable his goodness and his kindness, and all those things that draw us to him, how they really are, I begin to live my best life. Why? I do it out of gratitude and thankfulness. I choose to live differently because God doesn't hold my sin against me. It's so beautiful. So in Romans 6.1, Paul is actually dealing with that same line of thinking. I got to believe that the apostle Paul, who some call the apostle of grace, I believe he spoke so big on grace that people began to misunderstand. And I think until we do that, we're not preaching it right. See, I, you know, I say over 10 years ago, we really discovered this doorway into the kingdom, which I call grace, which is really just Jesus. And, you know, I found this, that when you start telling people that their works are what get God to love them, percentages of giving are what get God to bless them, they've already been blessed in Christ, right? That do, do, do is not necessarily the way we live because it's done, done, done. And sometimes, you know, the pendulum swings and... I may have preached it so hard that people are like, wow, I don't got to do nothing. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm like, no, that's not what it means. And so we've had to come full circle with that. But, you know, I've heard this before. And I don't know, I'm not sure exactly who I heard it from. But they say this, that if someone stops giving when they discover grace or they stop, you know, whether it's of their time, their talent, their treasure, if they start living differently, if they stop doing what they used to do, all grace does is it reveals where their heart has been the whole time. And that's not to bring condemnation. But you know, some people literally, they go to church every Sunday, they volunteer in a department, they give an offering because they feel obligated to. Some are in fear. If I don't, then the enemy's going to get me or God's going to get me. I need to do these things. 
And when you, so some people literally, they're doing it out of manipulation, out of control, out of fear, out of compulsion. And what happens is when you reveal grace, sometimes you got to leave some space for people to not do stuff for a while. Because you're like, I don't have to do all this stuff. It just reveals where their heart was the whole time. What I believe as pastors we need to do is believe that grace is big enough, that Holy Spirit is big enough to, through that work in the heart of people, so that when they do come back around, now they're doing what they do out of inspiration, not obligation. Does that make sense? But Paul was preaching this so heavy that he literally had to say, he had to make this statement and ask this question. Listen to this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? In other words, he was preaching it so good and so amazing that people were like, wait, so, because, because literally he said, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And so they're like, oh, that's cool. So should we sin some more so we'll get even more grace? Look at his answer. Absolutely not. Right? How, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And so what's happened is through the, I don't like labels, but like, you know, you've got Pentecostal, you've got Baptist, you've got word of faith, you, you've got the grace message and all those things. And so it, it, it puts it into these boxes and it pigeonholes things. And so some people have been scared, scared, <laughs> they've been scared, <laughs> that's pretty cool. They've been scared of the grace message because people think it's a scary thing and it's greasy. They call it greasy grace. Well, grace ain't greasy. Grace is sufficient. Grace empowers us to say no to sin, right? In fact, sin, think about this, sin no longer has dominion over us. We are dead to sin. Well, pastor, why do I still sin? Romans 12, 2, old thoughts, old habits, old responses. See, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to have a different mindset. We have to have the mind of Christ, which, by the way, you already have. You just need to awaken to it, right? You have to see things like God sees things. Bottom line, our righteousness or our righteous status with God is unchanging, but sin has consequences. I like to say it like this. God is not imputing sin onto us, right? So God not imputing sin onto us doesn't mean there aren't consequences for our actions. There are absolute consequences for your actions. Do you follow me? Again, dumb choices get dumb results. But here's the cool thing. In the midst of the dumb choices, God is with you. God is by your side. God does not leave. I used to think that when I sinned, God turned his back. Because I had this misconception about the cross when it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thought that was God couldn't look on sin. That was the one point in all history for Jesus that God separated himself from, from Jesus. But the truth is he was singing a song, Psalm 22. It starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you follow it down, it's this beautiful prophecy of what would happen to him. The ultimate, once and for all sacrifice. But by the end it says, you've never hidden your face from me. God never went anywhere. God doesn't leave us on our worst day. So, you know, no matter what ditch you're laying in or horrible mess that you've made, when you roll over in that ditch, guess what? Jesus is right there with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Isn't that awesome? So back to Abraham. If you want to see obedience, just look to Father Abraham. I mean, this, this grace that he was under, 430 years even before the law, it didn't teach him to live a lifestyle of sin. You don't see this. This grace he was under caused him to fall completely in love with God, completely in love 
with Heavenly Father. How do we know this? Because when the greatest requirement of any man was laid at Abraham's doorstep, guess what? He didn't hesitate to obey God. For one minute, he didn't hesitate because he trusted God. He trusted Heavenly Father. He saw God to be faithful to him even when he was unfaithful. That's why I love that Paul wrote to Timothy, when we are faithless, he is faithful. His faithfulness isn't dependent on you. If it was, my gosh, would that be a roller coaster ride or what? And so it's important that we understand and we see this. And I believe that Abraham began to see this. See, God asked Abraham for the most valuable thing in his life. What was that? His son Isaac. And guess what? He does not hesitate. There's no record of hesitation. God asks him, and it says he got up the next morning early, early, ready to go, already had the wood cut for the sacrifice, took a three-day trip to Mount Moriah with his son. And this is what's so beautiful to me. And I'm going to dig into a few things here because I know some people are like, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son? That's barbaric. I agree, extremely barbaric. But I want us to see a couple things. But first I want to say this. He looks at his servants and he says, the boy and I are going over there to worship. Then we, I'm going to capitalize this, we will come back to you. So wherever Abraham was in, in his mind at this moment, he knew that Isaac was a promise. So somehow, don't know how, Isaac's coming back with me. Okay, so I see this ultimate trust of God. Right? He was a friend of God. Even when Abraham messed up, God was good to him. Think about this. God's goodness brought Abraham to the place of total and complete trust. Now, I want to say this. This took time. It takes time to trust anyone in a relationship, doesn't it? And so I think, unfortunately, in the westernized evangelical church, we want to see immediate change. We want to micromanage people into the fruit of the Spirit, which, by the way, can't happen. And so we try to work people. I heard one uh, guy coin it that churches are just Christian daycares. We never allow people to grow up. We never allow people. We never give them enough grace, uh, enough um, worth, enough of understanding their identity to where they can make mistakes and they can fail and they can grow through that. So we just try to micromanage and make sure and control everything with good intentions. I believe many, many preachers, I have good intention. When I look back now, I was like, man, I didn't realize I was so controlling. I wasn't trying to be. I was trying to help you. Think about it. We do that in our own kids' lives. The hardest thing is to go, I can't control that person, even my child, I guess I'm going to have to let this go. I guess I have to pick my battles. Does this make sense? And so this, this relationship took time. Do you know it took Abraham over 20 years to come to this place of obedience? And God was faithful to him even before his complete obedience, even through the lies, even through the unfaithfulness. God was still good. To Abraham, And Abraham would see that day after day, month after month, year after year, till he came to this place, he thought, God, I trust you. I trust you with everything I am. I trust you with everything I have, even my son. The promise that you've given me. But I want to say this, that for us, this idea of, of child sacrifice is barbaric. Well, it's because it is. But at this time, it wasn't. This is thousands and thousands of years ago. 
This was a normal thing. People, I know it's crazy, right? But people would sacrifice their children to their gods. And so from one perspective, I see where, where there was such a trust in Abraham that he's like, you know what? I mean, I guess God's like some of the other gods when it comes to our children. But I know this, that we will return. He's my promise. So I guess I'll, I'll step out into this by faith. But let me say this, God never wanted Isaac. How do we know this? Because God supplied another sacrifice in Isaac's place. We see it in the same story. I believe that God wanted to show the world, show us even here and now in 2022, my grace works. My grace is sufficient. And so for years, I just, because you know, you, you kind of wrestle with it. You know what gets me is that, you know, people say the Bible's so easy to understand. You know, a sixth grader could read it. Yeah, but there's some stories in there I don't know if they're ready for yet. Even if you put it in felt board form and you stick it up there. I just, you know, seeing Isaac on a felt board bound up with his dad's a knife over him, that's kind of freaky when you think about it. We're just preaching Bible stories, but it's like, man, you got to think this through. You got to really understand that. But, you know, for, for years I believed that it was his faith. There was this test, and by faith he says, God, I trust you. Isaac is my promise. I believe that we'll come back from this. But I started really digging into this. And just a little side note, I thought this was interesting. I recently was looking into the story again of the binding of Isaac. That's what the Jews actually call it. It's not the sacrifice because he was never sacrificed. It's called the binding of Isaac. And it's interesting here because God intervenes, right? But, but some scholars have actually presented a different take on this story. And I'm not saying that I totally agree with this. I'm still working it through. But isn't it cool when you can see different perspectives? So for many years, again, I saw this as Abraham's faith in God. He just did whatever God had asked. And, you know, of course, this proved to God that he had Abraham's heart completely. And again, God never wanted to sacrifice Isaac. He never wanted this human sacrifice. We see that in the story. But some scholars actually now believe that Abraham made the wrong choice, not the right choice. I know you're going, what? What's going on? Just, just hear me out. This is really interesting. When God asked for Isaac as a sacrifice, through the original language, because when you look at you know, Hebrew and Greek in these ancient languages, there's mood, there's tenses, there's this flow, there, there's so much depth to it. It's not just like, English is just not a very good language. It just isn't when it comes to depth and meaning. Right. And so like in scripture, you know, you might see the word love, 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 but there's variations of that and what it means according to ancient language. But through this study, they believe that when God asked Isaac as a sacrifice, that God literally wanted Abraham to say no. Now think about this. That his blind response of faith was showing that he didn't really know the heart of God. Now, again, I'm not saying, I just, I discovered this. I'm like, this is interesting. So literally, God wanted a response of like, wait a minute, God, I've known you for over 20 years now. This doesn't seem like you question it. That the actual test was for him to question God and why he would ask him to do such a thing. That God wanted that. That questioning God and saying no would have been the proper response. So you think about this, because he didn't respond that way, God had to intervene and provide a sacrifice. I just think it's interesting, this, this view that these scholars have seen. Honestly, I love this idea of questioning God. 
See, we, we're in a time uh, in the 21st century where we've almost put God on, in this place where there's no questions that can be asked. In fact, we've even transferred this to the man of God. Right? Like a preacher preaches a message, and then you question him. He's like, how dare you question me? Ooh, that's kind of great. I'll never do that. Question me all you want. I may say, yeah, you're wrong. No, no. I'd be like, let's have a conversation over it. Like we're all, we're all learning. We're all growing with this thing. But in the 21st century, we feel as if, if asking God questions or questioning God is wrong. But if you look all through scripture, listen to me, just read. I don't know how many read the Bible, but you see a constant conversation between man and God. Man questions God. Get this. There's even points in scripture where it says that God repented. Now, is it because God was sinning? No. Repentance means to change your mind, to go a different direction. Think about this. Man is questioning God, debating God on issues. Maybe God wants this to happen to the place where God goes, you know what? I changed my mind. I like what you're saying there, bud. What? I mean, this is in scripture. I'm not making this stuff up. And we get so scared about, well, maybe I don't want to question God ever. Listen, I'm not questioning God's existence. I'm not questioning whether God's sovereign and all-powerful, any of those things. It's just there's points in our life where we have to be open. Listen, when I lost my brother last year, I questioned God a lot. I still have questions. I had some really interesting questions and conversations with God. But I know in the end that God didn't take on brother. I know that. I didn't lose my faith over it. But sometimes we just need to question God. If nothing else, it's to get it off our chest. Listen, we talk about the idea of prayer. Prayer is talking to God. And prayer, to me, it, it isn't so much for God. Like, I need this. Talk to me. It's for us to get things off our chest, for us to talk to God, for us to get some clarity on things in life. Wow, I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's just interesting to me that God repented, which means he changed his mind. That's so amazing to me that we have this open conversation, this open dialogue with the divine. You know, a couple days ago, I I had to go to the camera shop and uh, I had to get some repairs done on a lens. And so I'm dropping the lens off and uh, there's this guy behind the counter, a young guy. And somehow he found out I had come in the day before and I talked to the owner. He's a buddy of mine. And I was telling him kind of what was going on. He's like, well, go ahead and try this and this. And if it doesn't work, bring it back. So I brought it back. Well, in, in the conversation, the first day I was there, this young man and I were talking back and forth. And he does video and photography and stuff. And we were showing each other some of our work. And he's like, wow, that's great. Well, then I came in the next day and he goes, hey, uh, you're a pastor, right? I'm like, oh, he caught me. Darn it. 
Because sometimes you can't have normal conversations once you're a pastor. It's all like weird, right? But it didn't get weird. It was so cool. He says, man, that is so cool. Where's your church? And I told him it's literally right up the street. He's like, that's awesome. He says, you know, I grew up in church. And I was just, I was at this place where I just was on fire for God, man. I was like attending church. I was heavily involved in all this stuff. And he says, but then I came to this place in my life where, and this is what he said. He goes, I just really started to question things. He said, I just didn't, there were things that didn't really, they weren't jiving with me. And I, I didn't understand. He goes, and to be honest with you, and I, I knew he was hesitant when he's talking to me because I'm a pastor, right? He's like, and there's even like, I came to this place where I almost think I was an atheist. Like, I didn't even know if I believed in God. And I was just questioning so many different things. I had this fervent faith. And I looked at him and I said, you know, man, that is awesome. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, why is it? Why is a pastor saying it's awesome? I said, it's awesome. I said, we should be asking questions. Because you don't get answers unless you ask questions. And I said, not only that, man, God's okay with our questions and our questioning. We have to get to this place where we understand that God is okay with, with that. And I think that brought reassurance to him. In fact, he says, where's your church, man? I got to visit. See, through the questions, he maybe even came to a place he wasn't even sure about God. Listen, I've had times in my life where even I'm like, God, are you really there? Do you really exist? Is this faith thing for real? Yeah, Pastor Andy has had those questions, those things. Now, maybe some of you are like, man, I'm so strong in my faith. Well, that's great for you. But there's been times where things have been going on in my life or happening where I'm just like, are you really there? Now, I would never say I was an atheist. It was just that thing like, man, I just... It's that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me experience? Even Jesus experienced it on the cross. Come on. I think it's awesome they put that in Scripture because I can go, wow, Jesus experienced emotion and feelings just like me. This is awesome. I'm not wacky. I'm not off the rails. This is real life. And so I think that, again, brought some reassurance to him that it's okay to ask these questions, that we should ask questions and not just blindly walk through life. Now, there are times in my life, and you would probably agree, where we just have to put our full trust and our full faith in God because maybe you're in a place where you don't have the answer. You, you don't understand what's going on. You really, you don't know what the outcome's gonna be, right? And so there's times where I just go, I'm just throwing myself all in. God, I trust you. But at the end of the day, I really wanna convey that asking questions is, is not just okay, it's necessary. Because I see far too many Christians Brothers and sisters whom I love who just walk along through life blindly walking because of something they heard when they were growing up. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying sometimes we need to be open because here's the thing. If real life smacks you in the face and you don't have the capacity to ask questions, it may drive you to a place where you don't have faith anymore. So it's important that we ask these questions. And so I just thought it was... It was interesting to me that in this story, now again, I, you know, I'm still mulling this over and stuff. I still love the idea that he had complete total trust in God and that God intervened and he knew he would. But it's interesting to think that in a Jewish context that God really wanted the answer to be, wait, I don't know about this God. Wouldn't it be wild? And God goes, you know my heart now. You totally trust me because you said, no, that's not in your character, God. That's not who you are. I thought that was kind of a cool, cool idea. But think about it, just like Abraham, we have this same grace, 
right? We have the same goodness, the same kindness that draws us to him. It's provided to us through the cross. I love what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Come on, that's us. Now, I might have some Jewish blood in me. I don't know, but I think I'm just a gent, man. Gentile, right? But look at this. So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through what? Faith. See, knowing that God is with you in the midst of good and bad decisions, it deposits such trust in him and his faithfulness. To know that God will never leave you, he'll never forsake you, no matter how bad of a day you have, that God is not counting your sin against you, that he doesn't see you as a sinner, he sees you as a son and a daughter, this changes everything. You make different decisions. You walk differently. But on the other hand, legalism teaches us how to trust ourselves, how we can do things on our own. But grace teaches us to trust our Heavenly Father. Find the divine rhythms of grace. It's just such a beautiful way to live. So in conclusion today, we have three examples really here that I want to look at with fathers. We have our Heavenly Father, who's amazing, right? We have Father Abraham, who... Despite his shortcomings and his failings and his unfaithfulness, he still came to a place in relationship with God where he says, I completely trust you. And then we have fathers here today, hearing the message here, maybe hearing it later on podcast. First of all, do we see how our Father God treats us? Have we come to this place where we see God's unconditional love toward us? Where we see his goodness, that kindness that draws us to him? See, we have to start there. That's step one. But then in the story of Abraham, Father Abraham, do we see Abraham's complete trust in God because of God's goodness, because of his kindness, the trust that leads to obedience? I think it's a beautiful story for us to see. But then here as fathers today, can we see that God shows us the same goodness that he showed Abraham? That the same kindness, the same unconditional love and the goodness, it draws us to him. It develops trust in him, a trust that then again leads us to obedience. You know, when I hear voice of spirit uh, to do something, it's not, uh, sometimes I would hesitate. Sometimes I get, get thee behind me, Satan, you know, those times that we had growing up and, and learning. But I would say this, that when I hear voice of spirit, it's not a hard thing anymore. It's like, yeah, of course. Of course I can do that. Of course I can step out in that. Of course I'm going to continue to do that. Thank you, Father. Your love is amazing. Your grace is sufficient. There's no better way to live. Let me say this, okay? All the questions that I asked in the last couple decades has brought me to where I am now. The deepest trust I've ever had in my Heavenly Father. The deepest trust and in, in, in the, the most beauty I've ever seen in Scripture in my entire life. I'm telling you, it's not a guidebook for life. It's, it's the story of people who are trying to wrap their head around the concept of God and spirit. And it's so beautiful when we see the original language and, and the context and where they were. Listen, man, there's nothing that can change my mind. I cannot unsee what I've seen. God is way too good. Listen, he'll never leave me or never forsake me. I won't leave him or forsake him. I can't. It's my life. It's my source. Whether the, the church dries up and closes down, that doesn't change who I am. I'm a son of God. 
I can still operate in goodness and bring life to people whether I'm in a pulpit or not. In fact, if all I'm doing is bringing goodness on a Sunday morning here, then something's wrong. It should be day to day in real life. Come on. That's why I encourage you to do the same thing. You don't have to have a label to live kingdom, to help people, to bring hope. Man, I am long-winded this morning, but I am just like, I'm excited about how good God is. I want you to get this in your heart. He's so good. Dads, God is so good. Can you see how good he is to you, how much he loves you, the grace that's sufficient, even when you fail, even when you're faithless, even when you don't measure up, God never goes anywhere. He works with you through that cycle, in that ditch. He's right there with you. And I believe once we do, we finally come to this place, we begin to see ourselves as fathers who show goodness, who show unconditional love to our own children. We create this trust. We create this safe place for them toward us, and we help them develop a proper perspective of Heavenly Father. Why? Because we're a reflection of that. Remember, even in your worst times where you don't handle things well, I'm sorry goes a long, long way right? I love you unconditionally goes a long, long way. Amen. Happy fathers today. Will you stand with me? We got grills to fire up. We got stuff to do. I get that. And thanks for, uh, thanks for receiving me even when I'm a little emotional. (laughs) Things in life, man, aren't always easy, but man, it's so good to know you have God with you. Amen. We're going to pray. This morning, before we do, though, I, I wanted to read uh, this awesome quote by John Bunyan. It's absolutely beautiful. Listen to this. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Isn't that beautiful? What the? I thought John just appeared. What is? Hear that piano? Woo, Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? It gives us wings. It brings us freedom, man. There's such freedom. I, like I said, I, I can't unsee what I've seen. I, I can't live any other way. I, I, I'll never, I can never lose faith. Even on the worst day, I just know God's with me. You know, losing a loved one is probably one of the most trying things. But never once did I blame God. I had questions. I wouldn't understand. I had a few <laughs> shouting matches <laughs> with God. And, uh, but we're good. He can take it. Broad shoulders, baby. God can take it. Amen. So sometimes we just need to let those things out and, and let that frustration out. We need to pray. We need to speak. We need to talk. We need to cast our care on him because he cares for us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and thank you so much for emotions. I'm so glad you gave them to me. I've been all over the map, but man, I know that I'm worthy that I'm loved, that I'm called. All of us here are. I pray that we would see that more and more as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and understanding, becoming more perfected in your love. And I just pray a special grace and peace over the dads here this morning. Maybe it's a dad here who's struggling with that identity and feeling like a failure and not measuring up. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are right now reminding dads that they're worthy, that they're good, good fathers. And you're showing us ways, maybe through uh, your love, of course, but, but, 
blind spots that we haven't seen, maybe the log in our own eye. We begin to deal with those things by your power and by your grace, that Jesus, we just invite you in right now, your healing virtue to heal us in those areas of our soul, that we would experience true change in life, transformation by renewing our mind. Thank you for truth. Time and truth go a long way. And so we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for the, your grace in, in any and every situation. And I thank you for the dads who have taken up that mantle and it's real to them and, and it's important to them. Continue to give them wisdom and how to raise those children because they're all built a little bit differently. I pray that you bless everyone here, everyone who's even listening to the podcast right now, that they are seeing who they are in you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Did you receive that this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.